Welcome to another episode of the Bandage Podcast, a weekly wrap-up of the most trending healthcare news. Each week, we'll discuss the latest in healthcare, health IT, and compliance. In this week's episode, we discuss if facial recognition belongs in healthcare, proof that rare diseases are more expensive to treat, and new laws in Pennsylvania related to overdose deaths. Let's wrap things up. This is episode 109 for the week of November 1st. I'm Matt Moneypenny. And I'm Albert Battistelli. Before we get started, our diagnosis code of the week is Z77.22 or exposure to environmental tobacco smoke. I don't think this is the type of environment like outside. I think this is like just where you were located environment, potentially. Like in a, like the back booth at like a Denny's. And like in the yeah. smoking section of a Denny's. Yeah, because Denny's, yeah, Denny's still has a smoking section. They still have those like dividers, quote unquote, between the smoking section and the non-smoking section. But that's what it makes me think of. Like that's environmental true. tobacco smoke where the entire backside of a Denny's was all like a haze. Yeah. I used to work at a restaurant and they said this was after we don't allow smoking in restaurants in Ohio. For yeah. People who are listening. Correct. Um, but this was after that, or this was before that. He was telling me a story. I worked after, but this story happened before. But apparently it was like a fancy restaurant and there was a smoking section and a non-smoking section. And the smoking section um, was literally one chair away from the non-smoking section. So like, mm-hmm. it wasn't even like a difference. It was just... Yeah, so it just walked right smoking. over. Like what? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's silly. What an... That, I, Dude, I couldn't imagine. Every restaurant would just smell like smoke. I couldn't imagine. That'd be awful. Anymore. It'd be terrible. I'm glad that those, those days are over. If you smoke, you know, I'm not trying to shame you, but also, like, I'm glad that restaurants don't allow that. Right. I'm glad I don't have to smell you is what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm not right. trying to shame yeah. you, but no. I don't want to smell you. Yeah. Right. 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 So I wonder if there's going to be a diagnosis code to bring it all back real quick. Right. For vaping. Maybe eventually. Obviously, it's still new, but you know, maybe eventually. My initial reaction to this was environment. When it says environmental tobacco smoke, was like a tobacco field catching on fire, <laughs> like and you breathing it in. Like that was my first thought. Like, oh, environmental. Like it was. Yeah. But that makes much more sense. Like secondhand smoke type stuff. Agreed. Agreed. Anyways, let's get into it. First up, we have facial recognition in healthcare. A person's face is their most publicly identifiable feature, which explains why people may be weary of facial recognition technologies, healthcare functions in terms of patient privacy, data governance, and usage. Over 70% of over 4,000 surveyed patients indicated that they were very or somewhat concerned about data privacy when asked about hypothetical precision health study that would utilize facial recognition technology to garner insights. Over 55% of survey respondents were equally concerned about the privacy of medical records, DNA, and facial images collected for precision health research, while 39% of respondents said that they would still be willing to participate in medical research involving that data, 30% of respondents said that they were unwilling to participate due to privacy concerns, and additional 30% were unsure. That's a lot of 30s. That's a lot. Facial of recognition technologies can be used to diagnose certain medical conditions, assist patients with touch-free appointment check-ins, and deter healthcare fraud. DNA, EHR data, and biometric data, including facial imaging, are reliable assets in medical research, but patient privacy concerns are justified. Sure. So, you know, I mean, facial recognition is is a very hot topic right now. I feel like yeah. there, 
AI was like the last five years. Now it's like facial recognition. It's oh, yeah. That's how my phone open. Because it's literally like, I feel like just a few years ago, we were talking about stories about how, you know, these robots who see our patient information could be right. a patient, like a, a privacy error, which it could, but also facial recognition could as well. So I understand it. I and mean, who knows what's going to happen? Who knows what the future holds? People are wary of change either way. So the, these stories are going to exist. Um, right. But the facial recognition piece, I don't really know how I feel about it. From a medical standpoint, I can see how there's uh, some boosting that needs to right. be. Like just, it just helps healthcare because, you know, if your face starts drooping, maybe you have some sort of disease. Sure. Or if your eyes start dilating a certain way, maybe you have some more, some other type of disease. Um, mm -hmm. But it's definitely scary because if someone gets that information, then they can replicate pretty much who you are across yeah. the world. Yep. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, potentially like replicate, I don't know, your face. You, I mean, when I think of facial recognition, I just, every time I look at my phone, it opens because it like scans my face and knows what I look like. And it's like, oh, that's him. If someone was able to somehow like hack that or use that in some way by obtaining your face, either through like a breach of some sort, like especially if they just keep records of faces on file like that. I don't know. Makes me, yeah, makes me a little bit anxious. Wild. Oh, yeah. It'll be a weird time for sure. It'll be interesting. At the same time, I would love so to be able to just like, you know, submit either a picture of my face or like a live video or whatever of my face and have like, get like instant feedback or access to medical records based on like who I am. And I don't know. It'd be, I could see a potential like, unless you're like a twin of somebody and then there might be some HIPAA issues, but like, right. I could see you know, I log into an app, scan my face, and then suddenly I have access to all of my medical records, regardless mm -hmm. of like the company or whatever. Like it'd be cool to be able to just have this database of all my stuff based on who I am, which they can Agreed. verify. So I don't know. Yeah, I, I see the concerns as well. I hope that by the time we get there, which I'm sure we will, they'll have, I don't know, allayed some of those concerns. Agreed. All right. Healthcare cost discrepancies. In a study led by the National Institutes of Health's National Center for Advanced Translation Sciences, NCATS, NCATS, <laughs> researchers provide evidence that individuals with rare diseases face significantly higher healthcare costs. According to the study, those with rare diseases see costs three to five times higher than those without a rare disease. Additionally, most of the approximately 7,000 to 10,000 known rare diseases disproportionately impact children, adolescents, and young adults. Many of the diseases are genetically caused and can be serious, life-threatening, and difficult to diagnose and treat. Researchers used International Classification of Disease, ICD, codes to determine those with rare diseases and their direct medical costs for 14 rare diseases in four healthcare systems compared to patients without rare diseases of a similar age. According to the researchers, the 14 rare diseases represent a diverse set of disorders that are different in prevalence, affected organ systems, age of onset, clinical course, and availability of an approved treatment or specific ICD code. Ultimately, to improve the lives of people with rare diseases, said NCAT's acting director, we need to find innovative ways, including new technologies, to help shorten the lengthy diagnostic odysseys so many patients and families experience and make more treatments available faster. So uh, this study, I mean... It feels like this is like kind of putting a study to like common knowledge. 
No, you know I, mean? I was going to say the same thing. It almost feels <laughs> like, like no duh. It's like, like hey, people with rare diseases have to pay more because they have a rare disease. It's like, well, I mean, because well, it's rare. I mean, right. that's kind of how capitalism works, right? right. Supply and demand, which could highlight a bigger problem in terms of capitalism sure. meshing with healthcare, which, you know, that's a different sure. type of debate. Um, well, it sure is. And they could go on forever and, you know. But I get what you're saying. Years, but yeah. It makes sense that like a disease that isn't as prevalent, a disease that you don't see as often or have as much, much research on or don't have like specific treatments for is going to cost more because I feel like built even into those treatments is some sort of like level of research as well because it's it's so new or it's so rare. Like, I don't know, if one out of 7,000 people gets this disease, like you're going to want to take that one person and be able to like conduct research on them and do this and that. And like, you're, it's going right. to, costs are going to go up because yeah. it's so rare to find that one person who might be able to give us some sort of insight into the disease. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm not trying to dismay or disregard what the NCATS acting director said, but he pretty much said, hey, we got to get better at treatment and diagnosing. Like, yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, I can't disagree with them. <laughs> Makes sense to me. Please. Start anytime. Interesting story. Good that, you know, they're having some sort of study to go actually be like, hey, like this is right. real. Um, is anything going to come of it? Probably not. Other yeah. than just overall innovative thinking in healthcare, which is just sure. a continual process because there's money to be made, which is the leading factor, which goes back to the ethical thing, which I'm not going to get into. So next story, (laughs) laws to prevent overdose deaths, a bill sponsored by Pennsylvania rep Mike Schlossberg to establish local overdose fatality review teams to prevent future overdose deaths was unanimously approved by the House Human Services Committee last Tuesday. Schlossberg's legislation now moves to the full house. Ooh, not, not, not like the episode or the show that we're talking. We're talking about right. the House of Representatives, not full yeah, house. Not, not the Tanners, not the Tanner family. Right, right. Schlossberg said local communities and agencies across Pennsylvania would establish overdose fatality review teams like Pennsylvania's Methadone Death and Incident Review Team, a localized overdose facility review team that would bring together representatives from various public safety, public health, and social service agencies to identify system gaps and opportunities to prevent future overdose deaths. The lawmaker said the overdose crisis is not stagnant. Instead, it's rapidly shifting and the need for timely in-depth data and actionable recommendations has become increasingly vital. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, wow. I'm not surprised that this is going to the house. Uh, It's a good thing overall. Um, I'm glad to see that the opioid pandemic is being acknowledged right because it also like this, for a long time it wasn't you're right it also seems like one of those like oh only just now you're doing this like only just now you're like let's let's look at like how many people are dying of this every year like i don't know yeah it's a, it what are the goals what are the outcomes you know, of this baby steps or, right sure baby steps it's still gonna take like another year probably before this actually becomes a everything thing. just and moves so that, slow. you actually have to implement it and then you have to find the money money for it and all that because, you know, governments are slow. Right. But hey. baby steps. I yeah. Guess. Pennsylvania Methadone Death and Incident Review Team. Wow, that's intense. That's a, that's a, yeah, that's a heavy name. 
that's an intense name. It's, it's definitely intense. It's nothing to be messed around with. If I met somebody from the methadone uh, death and incident review team, I would uh, shake their hand. I don't know. Yeah, no, for sure. I'd be like, you're, you're doing God's work. <laughs> you're doing stuff, man. Making moves. I respect it. Yep. And with that, let's get into our next segment. B-R-E-A-C-H. Breach Patrol. It's a breach! All of the latest cybersecurity breaches. Welcome to Breach Patrol, where we talk about the latest, the greatest, the scariest breaches that happen all across the world. Take it away, Albert. All right. Hacker goes to jail. I love the title of this. Hacker goes to jail. Well, okay. (laughs) Straight to the point. Simple. That's all you need to know. All right. A Michigan man was sentenced to a total of 84 months of incarceration for hacking the human resources databases of the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, UPMC, and stealing the personally identifiable information, PII, of over 60,000 of the medical center's employees. Chief U.S. District Judge Mark R. Hornack imposed the sentence on Justin Sean Johnson for conspiracy to defraud the U.S. and aggravated identity theft. Johnson, known on the dark web as the Dearth Star and Dearthy Star, hacked into UPMC's databases between 2013 and 2014 and stole PII and W-2 information, later selling it on the dark web. In a separate instance, Johnson sold an additional 90,000 non-UPMC PII records on the dark web between 2014 and 2017, resulting in $1.7 million in false tax return refunds. I mean... Oh, the dearth star strikes again. Right? Justice for the... Or not justice for, I guess. Well, how do you want to justice. say that? Justice Hashtag to Dirt Star. Just kidding. Don't free him. <laughs> no, we don't want to free him. We want to punish we don't him. Want to free him. Yes. We need a Luke Skywalker figure to come in and. Right. Um, yeah. So, PII. Like- so, personally identifiable information, um, you know, not as sensitive as PHI, which is, as we know, protected health information. Mm-hmm. But that's like stuff like name, address, email, things like that. So, it's basically like, you know, Probably this person's a nurse, job title, things where they work, what type of department. So that leads to phishing attempts, which leads to ransomware mm-hmm. and, yep. you know, you know, like the bad stuff. So terrible stuff. Um, so, you know what? The Dirt Star is an appropriate name because that thing was a planet killer and this guy this is... was a destroyer of worlds. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, um, and, yeah, he's he's gonna face some 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 big issues here because that's a lot of people. It is. Um, and anytime that they find, it seems like anytime they actually find someone and identify them as someone on the dark web, the problems and penalties that they face is greater because it's yeah. like, wow, you think you're smug because you have this silly name, and you go on the dark web actively. So like, we are going to you know set the precedent for other people like you, and it usually never yeah. works, but it's still good to see. It's it's nice to see that because it's like justice served kind of thing. Yep. Dearth Star. Dearth Star. <laughs> it's gonna be the name, the title of this podcast, the Dearth Star. The Dearth. Next up, that's no moon. <laughs> next up, school drama. Uh oh. The Pinelands Regional School District in New Jersey acknowledged last week their investigation of a data breach that included information about personnel and students. 
In mid-March of this year, Superintendent of Schools Dr. Melissa McCooley received notification from the wife of former board president Thomas Tommy Williams that her husband would be undergoing an emergency procedure. McCooley was further advised that Williams would not be available for a while. During that same period of time, the school district's technology department and McCooley received alerts regarding suspicious login attempts to Williams' account. Records showed multiple logins through different ISP providers. McCooley sent an email to Williams asking him to explain how there were multiple login attempts in different areas on the same day. Williams resigned from the school board in June, reciting health reasons. He will not face school board ethics charges as he is no longer a member of the school board, though. He served on the Pinelands Regional School District Bass River Township representative for 21 years. This is like some, this is definitely some drama. Right. So there's, there's a, yeah, story here. We've got to break it down. Who is McCooley? All right. So McCooley is the superintendent. Right. And Tommy was. Oh, yeah. Thomas Tommy Williams. A former board president. Yes. So she received notification from the wife of Tommy, who is right. unknown, unnamed at this point. Right. That her husband, a.k.a. Tommy, would be undergoing an emergency procedure. Right. And that he would be out for a while. He would not be available for a while due right. to the procedure. So and at the same time, yes. the technology department and McCooley, the superintendent, received alerts mm-hmm. that suspicious logins were happening on William's email account. Right. So, apparently Tommy was doing some stuff. From different I mean, ISPs, or he was providing his uh, login information to different people. Was he like, was he like Netflix sharing his login information? Right. That, or the I'm not sure. School district. Yeah, they know. like multiple logins, different ISP providers, and when he was confronted about it by the superintendent, he apparently just resigned, citing his health, and he won't face ethics char- ethics charges. Yeah, something ain't right here. Something Very ain't strange. right. No, it's not. Tommy's no. got some connections, apparently. Yeah, we need like a Netflix documentary. Mm-hmm. We need to get to the bottom of this. We need uh, what was the podcast? Um, big podcast where they investigate things. Like uh, the crime one. Yeah, what's it called? It was really big for a minute it's called, there. I don't know. I don't oh know. Gosh, I've lost it. It's called. It was one word. Crime. I don't know. No. I don't know. I don't know. Serial. Mm-hmm. It was serial. Yes. Okay. Got sorry. It. Yep. Got it. All right. No breach despite 3.1 million email addresses leaked. Coin Market Cap says it has found no evidence of a data breach despite the circulation of a list of 3.1 million email addresses that correlates with accounts on its service. Coin Market Cap is a website that tracks the price movement of cryptocurrency. Binance Capital Management which runs cryptocurrency exchanges, acquired CoinMarketCap in April 2020. The data is only email addresses and does not contain password hashes or other information. The data had been posted as far back as August on a well-known data breach forum. It surfaced again on that same forum earlier this month. On Saturday, CoinMarketCap wrote in a short blog post that it, quote, ran a comprehensive security check and there is no trace of any security breach of our servers, end quote. CoinMarketCap thinks the list was compiled from other data breaches. So 
mm. it seems like coin market cap got caught up in this mess. And now they're like, nah, it wasn't us. It wasn't us. No way, nope. man. No Even way. Even 3.1 million them. of our clients are on this list. This is it's, it's not just, us. We are, you know what? We're just so involved in so many people's lives that any breach just relates to our organization yeah. because we're that important. Nothing that's to see here. That's like what they're saying. Nothing to see. 3.1 million email addresses. Talk about an, a big marketing list that you could just market to. Wow. No, for real. I would like to get my hands on 3.0 million email addresses to just That's send content to. Wow. That's a lot. That is a lot, you know? Yep. Well, Jeez. crypto's getting big. People are like flocking to it. So everyone wants to try to like get a little taste of it. I can see why they have so many emails. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah. You know, the whole Bitcoin thing is cool, mm -hmm. but there's been a lot of like suspect companies that have come out of it. And I'm not saying coin market cap is one of those. Don't get me wrong. I'm not. Don't assume that I'm making coin market cap seem like the bad guy here. They're just involved in this breach and they're denying it. So it seems like it's a bad look, but they could be right. I don't know. I'm not a, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm just a commentator here. Right. No but worries. there have been a lot of bad and suspect companies as the result of Bitcoin because people don't really understand it. And these companies are like, let's take advantage of people not understanding it. And then it just leads to this whole mess. Right. So. Yep. Anyways, that's it for this week's wrap-up of your weekly healthcare news. I'm Matt Moneypenny. And I'm Alvaro Battistelli. And we'll catch you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Bandage Podcast produced by eTactics.